Hey, everybody, coming up on the Matt Townsend Show, fame. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to learn how to fly high. Does that song bring back any memories? Okay, not really. But why do we all have a little tiny piece of us inside of us that wants to be famous? Why do we care about celebrities at all? We're talking about it up next, right after the news with Sam McCall, Mr. Famous. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. TSA officials scrapped a plan to start allowing small pocket knives on planes once again after outcry from lawmakers and the public. A group of nearly 150 lawmakers sent a letter to the TSA calling the plan dangerous, unnecessary and irresponsible. A building in downtown Philadelphia has collapsed, taking the life of one person and injuring 13 more. Rescue crews were on the scene almost immediately, helping the victims to get free of the rubble and the medical care they needed. President Obama has named Susan Rice as the next director of the NSA, a position which does not require congressional approval. Rice was rumored to have been the president's pick for secretary of state, but Republican senators vowed to block her nomination. Google Glass banned sexually explicit apps from being offered on the device yesterday after the first such app went live the day before. The device is still in beta testing, leading some to speculate Google is trying to protect the Glass's reputation before the official launch. An 84-year-old Florida woman has been revealed as the winner of a record $590 million Powerball jackpot. Gloria McKenzie has elected to take her winnings as one large lump sum. In world news, Pakistan's recently re-elected prime minister is wasting no time calling for an end of U.S. military drone strikes in the country. Other problems facing Pakistan include Taliban insurgents and a growing electricity crisis. A new report says Turkish police have detained at least 25 people for posting what has been called untrue information on social media and helping coordinate protests. Clashes between demonstrators and police continued today. Scientists have discovered a 55-million-year-old skeleton belonging to what is now the earliest known primate. Experts say the creature would have been very small and highly energetic. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your uh, coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can on our program. Are you twirling your finger at me, Skyboy? No, I Did I was... you just twirl your <laughs> finger at me? Yeah. Like, you're like your Whoop-dee index finger. You're like, pick it up, pal. Let's go. Somebody has got a little attitude. That's actually not why I twirled my finger. Why'd you twirl? Well, you asked me a question before break, and I was like, oh, I I remember someone who. Because you asked me who I met that's famous, and I just remembered someone. We're talking about famous people today, and Skyboy, we asked him who was the most most famous person he had ever met, and he said Elmo. So we're like, okay. And then, you know, he doesn't understand. He's pretty famous. (laughs) You know, Elmo's not real, he's a puppet. I don't know. He's a muppet. He's on TV. He's there. I, I see him. Mm-hmm. I hear him. That's pretty real to me. If I can see him and hear him. You know that, um, you know that uh, Mr. What's his name? Simpson. What's his name? Bart. Homer. Oh, Homer. Homer's not real. He's on TV. You can see him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's a cartoon. Those are, those are, those are animations. Yeah. Like, and Dan Castellaneta is very real. Dan's very real. But Homer, not. 
And you, he's a real cartoon character. He's totally a real cartoon <laughs> character. But um, do you see very many red furry people that talk like this? No. No. My hair's kind of red and furry. Is that what this but, is about? No, it's relate. not what it's about. Do you relate to Elmo? Well, I guess in that sense I do. But <laughs> Can he play ball like you? Can he hoop it up like you? Oh, no way. No one can hoop it up like me. I hear you're a hoopster. <laughs> is that true? You could have been famous. Have you met a famous basketball player? Yeah, I've, I've met a couple. Who? Uh, Come on. Throw me some names well, out. Mark Madsen. He's, he played in the NBA. Yeah. And uh, who's the guy? Thurl Bailey. Yeah, Thurl him. the Pearl. Yeah. Um, I think I met Reggie Evans when he played cool. for Iowa. Yeah. He's with the Nets. Um, You've met a lot of famous people. The, the, the person I was going to mention, I met Martha Stewart. Uh, really? Oh, yeah. was that when you were doing that visit to prison? Well, I, I wasn't visiting. I was I was in for oh, you were in other for the yeah, problem. yeah. yeah. Well, so that's good. Well, I'm glad that uh, were you in the women's facility? <laughs> no, we were we were transferring cells. Okay, that's our paths just crossed. Yeah. Well, actually, it was when you were working as a bagger at Kmart. Yeah, yeah Martha Stewart where, where came in her collection. Check, <laughs> yeah, just checking on her collection. Martha Stewart collection. <laughs> yeah, you were the one that was supposed to organize it after the cell. And Helen Hunt, I met her. Too. I like Helen. She's yeah. great. See. You've met where? Do you meet all these people? Uh, I met I met Martha Stewart at. I used to live in L.A. and so in Hollywood. That's where I met Helen Hunt. But you did? Yeah. What did you do in L.A.? My my, my dad worked at a at a hospital there. Okay, for, well that makes sense. Yeah. That's um, why you have this hankering to be famous. Yeah, that's that, why you wanted to why, be on our show. That's why I applied for the Matt Townsend show. <laughs> How's that working for you? I am so famous now. You're, yeah, you need to go yeah. back to L.A. You might have a shot. <laughs> famous people. It's kind of a weird thing because, like, they're just people. And, you know, but I, you get nervous. Like, this this is a big deal. This person's really famous. Like, Snooky. I'd be terrified to meet Snooky for a variety of reasons. A, she'd, uh, she'd hurt me. But she's famous. Now, should Snooky be famous? Or see, it used to be fame was like something, you know, if you had some pipes you and have you a could talent, sing. You do something. You're famous. But <laughs> yeah. now you just need to have a funny name, Snooky. And have a lot of on-screen freakouts. Yeah. Because yeah. that's all she does. And other problems. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> We've so fallen as a society. We've fallen. But it just doesn't make sense because fame – What's the big deal? Why do we care? Why do we get all bent out of shape when we find out someone's there? Taylor Swift was just in town. I drove by uh, in kind of a stalking way. Um, <laughs> you know, security held me back. I was just driving downtown, and she has, I don't know, 30 trucks that come with her concert, at least, semis. And, I don't know, four, four or five buses. You know, I'm going to look. I'm looking for Taylor. And, you know, I didn't see her. Not even didn't even didn't even see our security people. So, but I was intrigued. And if all of a sudden, you know, Taylor Swift walked in here, I'd probably shut right up. I doubt it. <laughs> we remember we do sit in meetings with you. So yeah. I mean, like we, yeah, I don't know if you'd, I don't yeah. know. I oh, think you you'd do? probably be able to still be talking. You think? Maybe. Yeah, I don't. It's funny because I never noticed you, you guys would talking find in something meetings. to say. <laughs> I, would. I totally would. Okay, I want to know who. What are the famous people you've met? And let's see if any of you can beat Helen Hunt. Is that who you said? That's great, dude. Uh, my best that I can offer is Robert Ori. Really? It's Hori. It's Ori. <laughs> Robert Hori. There's an H. It's a silent H. Okay. Like most H's. Did you meet him while he's playing? 
Did you uh, meet him in the groove, in the championships? When I'm, did you meet him? I'm pretty sure he was playing for the Spurs at that point. This is volleyball, right? This is, yes. Cool. Totally. No, it's basketball. Playing for the Spurs. Playing for. By the way, Skyboy, they're in. Oh, yeah. Have you? Did you know that? Did you know the Spurs <laughs> made it? Did they? No, I was very aware. Okay, by the way, Bryce, we'll come back to you, but this is a big deal because Skyboy's licking his chops. It's the first time he seemed interested all day. <laughs> um, so here's the deal, Skyboy. I don't know if you know, but they're in. They, they the are Spurs in the Spurs won the Western Conference Finals. Conference finals. They're yes. in. Yes. The problem, and I'm just going to shoot straight with you because I am a connoisseur of basketball. Okay. <laughs> they're they're going to struggle because they've been sitting. Yeah. And they're old. And when old people sit, not good. Yeah, well, they've they've been practicing like they've oh, been they've been think? yeah. I'm okay. sure Pop's got them doing stuff. I think, but I, but I, I, I do I do agree that I think this long of a break won't be the best, and I think they'll start off rusty. But mm-hmm. I don't think it'll take long for them to get. back I think in their Miami group. though got a little beat up. I mean, they had a hard series. Had a so very hard this series. This is cool. I, you know, I've always loved San Antonio. I appreciate that. They're my favorite team. They're my fifth favorite team. Your fifth. No, I don't care. I just like I don't care. I really, you like the jazz. I like huh? the jazz, and then I like every other team. Um, but I don't. I didn't like them because you liked the Spurs. Yeah, a lot of people don't like the Spurs because I like the Spurs. Mm-hmm. So they just want to like they. They could care less. Didn't the home office call you and ask you to kind of not like them as much because no. they needed more people to like them? <laughs> They're a small market team. They are like us. Yeah, Spurs rock. Okay, back to you, Bryce. So you've met Mr. Horry. Yes. I was on a shuttle at the Houston airport. Oh, boy. I've done that. And That's a this really tall guy gets in, and he <laughs> sat down right next to me. Because you're and tall, and so he was really tall. He was, yes. He's 6'10", I think. Did you call him out? Did you say, hey, punk? No. No. I just, I noticed, I was like, hmm. I recognize. Huh, whatever. Is that Robert Horry? And then eventually it dawned on me. Oh, hey, yeah, that's him. I didn't say a word to him because uh, he's at the airport, which is the most miserable place I could Can think to be. to be. If you're famous like that, right? No, just in general, not even famous. Oh yeah. Well, just, not, not uh, even wor- worse is it was the shuttle at right? the Houston airport. Right. Been there, done that. Anyway, he wasn't having any fun. I wasn't having any fun. I didn't care to but talk. But you to didn't him. go talk to him. Did you talk to any of your Skyboy? You went up. What'd you say? Hi. <laughs> Exactly. Hi. Are you Helen Hunt? Um, well, when I met, I remember meeting Mark Madsen. I asked him actually about Tim Duncan. Oh, you did? Yeah. Hey, I, asked, cool. I asked him. Tim? He, Tim I cool? asked him if he ever had to guard Tim Duncan. Um, Helen Hunt. Uh, I was young, and we were in line for. They have this like crazy theater in Hollywood. I don't know if you've been there. It's like gold inside, and they have like an organ that comes out of the floor, and mm. and then they were playing a, a terrible movie, a Disney movie. National or no Treasure Treasure Island? Some I can't remember. Mm, treasure Some Hunt, Planet Treasure Island, something. Planet Treasureville. Anyways, it was it was like you watch the movie and then you go to like an exhibit that was going to be at Disneyland and Helen Hunt was in line, and I honestly didn't even really know who she was at the time, but my parents told me and they're like, she's really famous. Go ask her for her autograph. Go ask her for her autograph. Jane Seymour. I did the same thing. But so I you walked up it. and you said Helen Hayes. I'm such <laughs> oh, a I love big Helen Hayes. <laughs> You look so much younger in person. Yeah. That's classic. <laughs> I think, did, yeah, I think I spoke to all Did she sign an autograph? She did. Did she pat your little redhead and say, hey, you cutie patootie? Yep. She, yeah. She's like, we'll get you on one of my shows. That's cool. Okay, so she you met him. That. <laughs> that was a dream. That's um, neat. Yeah. Bryce, you didn't. Freddy Cat? No, I'm not going to bother him. Other people were bothering him. But were you not in awe of his famous... 
stature and his incredible reputation? Yes. When he walked in, my first thought was, he has to be important. No, my first thought was, why is the shuttle rocking? Oh, it's because there's a very big guy getting on it. That guy's huge. Did you? But you didn't say, hey, how can I capitalize by getting an autograph? You yeah. didn't think that? How can I ruin this for you? Yeah. What's the most effective way? Just by talking or do I have to ask for something? See, that's interesting because I would never ask a star. I don't care who they are. I sat next to Jane Seymour. She'll never know I did, but I did. And then security took me away. Which was rude. Better no. yet, she might remember you as that guy who didn't bother me. Yeah. My wife texted me and said, because um, she was on another show that I was doing, and my wife texted and said, get a picture with Jane Seymour and we'll put it on my Facebook page. We'll put it on your Facebook page. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. Other people were getting pictures. No, I wouldn't do it. David Archuleta, same thing. I gave him a little head nod. Hey. You know, the cool night. I'm too cool to ask you for your picture, but I so want it so bad. I want it so bad. Please give me your picture. Please offer to give me a picture. Nope. I didn't dare. Didn't do it. Loser. So, but I have a story to tell. So I go tell my kids, hey, I met, I almost met David Archuleta. I came really, really close to meeting him almost. I was, I was in the room. We head nodded. It's kind of a cool, macho, hey, hey, hey. Man moment. Man moment. I also just remembered I've met Mitt Romney a couple times. See? Because I'm in Iowa. Yeah, And yeah. they have, like, the straw poll there. Yeah. And so, like, every election season, all the candidates come, and you can meet all of them. See? Mitt. Yeah. Does it count meeting a celebrity if they just drove past you? No, because I've seen the president. Because I, I kind of met Tim Curry before he had a stroke. Tim Curry. Sitting there, Pasadena, stoplight. Who's Tim Curry again? He was the villain on Home Alone 2, oh, yeah. and he was the voice of the wild Thornberry's mustache guy, whatever his name mm-hmm. is. Nigel Thornberry. Nigel. And he's done a few voice acting. So you met him? Well, drove in, by in that, I was hanging out at a red light, waiting to get on the freeway there, and uh, this Maserati gets off. And I see this beautiful car turn left. I go, oh, wow, wow. that's a nice-looking car. car. hot. And my friend got even more excited. I thought, wow, I didn't know he was into, you know, like, cool cars like Maseratis. He says, that's Tim Curry. And boy. That's he, cool. You know, celebrities are kind of more normal and kind of fatter looking I hear they walk. than they are in their movies, you know? They walk, they talk. They're just human. Merit, who have you met? I've I've met a couple of people who? at the time. Um, and this is funny. I don't, I'm like, you and Bryce. I will not talk to somebody. They are living their life. Why on earth would you bother them? If somebody random came up and talked to me. See, that's weird. <laughs> even if somebody I know come up and talks to me, sometimes I'm like, who are you and what are you doing? Yeah, so, yeah. Like, like if I see a friend in the grocery store, I'm kind of like, oh, no, no, don't uh, talk yeah. to me. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. But <laughs> I really am interested in eggs right it, now. Yeah. Wouldn't it be yeah. weird, though, if it's Oprah? So you're sitting there. there everybody knows Oprah. So, And you know everyone knows Oprah. So if you're like standing there and you see Oprah at the store and you're like, hey. You don't care? No, I'd probably I mean, turn that's the weird other way. Too. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Like, come on, you know who I am. I mean, <laughs> it's weird. So I um, went on a study abroad to England. We've mentioned that before. And I was living in London for about two and a half months. And during that time, there was movie premiere season. There were tons of movie premieres. And being a film student, I decided I should probably go to one because that's kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I did that. Well, yeah, you'd think you are really, I'm like, 
for somebody who doesn't like crowds or standing for like six hours or cold <laughs> or cares about celebrities at yeah. all, I really don't know why I did yeah, that. Why? Yeah, yeah. That was anyway, a so yeah, chalk I went it to up the, to mistake. I went to the um, English national premiere for The Hobbit, which was cool. I saw lots of cool people. The, the Hobbit. Hobbit. The Prince. Sir Ian Hobbit. McKellen. Now he drops his H's. Well, you're in England. <laughs> <laughs> the Hobbit. <laughs> yeah, so there were cool people. I um, The only person I talked to is Stephen Moffat, and he writes, he's a television writer, and he does a show, Sherlock. I don't know if you've seen it. I really like it. No. So I talked to him. Are I you said, a groupie? Yeah, I said, hey, you're pretty cool. I um, really like your show. It has made me more interested in film. I'm actually studying at school now. And he said, well, don't credit me with ruining your life. Um, be prepared to be poor. So... That was very positive, right? Okay, okay. thank you, Mr. Moffat. Thank you. Good times. Yeah. So that was about what I did. Interesting. Um, I took pictures and wanted to go home. But I did at another point. Um, One of my good friends texted me during the day. I was out museum something. I don't know. Shopping. I don't think I was. Hopping? No. No. You're museum hopping. Museum hopping. Yeah, that's more like it. Anyway, she texted me. She's like, hey, looking for something to do tonight. I'm like, sure, whatever. She says, hey, do you want to go see Tom Cruise? I said, that sounds interesting. He's a pretty amusing guy. So yeah. we slipped in. I had to watch the trailer before we went to the premiere. <laughs> see what you're getting into. Yeah, see what I was doing. I don't know. Uh, it was a premiere for Jack Reacher, and we just went about half an hour before he was supposed to show up. So mm-hmm. we didn't do the whole wait in line and everything. But while I was there, um, I was standing. we were just standing there. I was like, look, it's Tom Cruise. He looks the same as he always does. Yay. Yeah. So it was really exciting. I was kind of ready to go. And... Uh, but then this guy next to me is standing there. He's a big guy, and he's just yelling, Tom, Tom, Tom come over right here. Tom. And it seriously lasted for about 10 minutes. <laughs> and then as Mr. Cruz turned the other way to go watch his own movie, uh, the guy got super mad, stomped the barrier, and was, like, kind of throwing a fit. Going after Tom. Yeah. And so um, a policeman came over. Bobby came over and was telling him, totally telling him off. He's like, you scared this young lady. You need to go home. Get your priorities straight. See, I think that'd be cooler to see than actually Tom Cruise <laughs> yeah. himself. It was. Did he yeah. tase really, him? Though. Did he tase him? No. See, that's but, an interesting story. Yeah. They, um, I left really soon after that because that was freaky. So, But I'm pretty sure they escorted him out at was, that point. Was Tom all you thought he'd be? Um, he was Mr. Cruise. He's pretty sleep? short, isn't he? Yeah, he's short. I knew yeah. that going in. He, he looks, imagine this. He looks, he looks like the pictures oh. they take of him. You weird. Know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's weird. Yeah. Don't most people look like the pictures they take? <laughs> I know. That's what, why would you wait to see a celebrity that I had a lady, look the same? I, I had don't a lady know. just the other night come up and say, oh, you, I know you. I'm like, yeah. She says, you look skinnier than I thought you would. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you, you're ugly. <laughs> so get out of my face but it was it was like A she's like recognizing me which is so rare but B she's like you look skinny I thought I mean you look bigger on TV yeah well whatever your teeth don't line up you just gotta be rude back that's how I've done it fame's a weird deal why do we care why do we care I met President Clinton's dog through the White House gate that, that, they used to have a little brown lab, little cute little brown lab that ended up dying in a car accident when they moved to New York. And that cute little dog licked my hand. And then I washed it as fast as I could because that's gross. I don't care whose dog it is. But I thought that was a big deal. I left D.C. knowing that I had touched the president's dog. 
Pretty cool. The first dog, folks. <laughs> you know the best part about dogs? What? A dog has no clue whose owner is yeah. and no clue who you were. Yeah. Delighted to see both yeah. of you. And he's like, why don't they open this gate and let more people in? Good stuff. So we're talking about celebrity culture. Why do we make such a big deal about famous people? It doesn't make sense, does it? Well, we're going to get into it. We've got an expert that's going to be coming on. Stuart Fischoff's going to be working with us, uh, who's done a lot of research about uh, the history of stardom and uh, star power and, you know, some of the notoriety that comes from it and the false notoriety. We're going to get into that right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. I spy with my computer-tracked eyes how this technology will change lives for everyone. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Touchscreens were a breakthrough in computer interactivity, but we've seen the next step, and it's seen us too. They call it gaze interaction, which is a fancy name for tracking your eyes to determine what you're looking at and letting the direction and intensity of that gazing drive a computer mouse. The camera is built into the computer display, or in an attachment you add to the screen. Using algorithms that track the very fleeting movements of your eyes, and timing how long you look, as well as how wide your eyes get, the gaze tracker does a credible job of going where you think you want it to go. Many users claim it's such an intuitive way to drive a computer, it feels a lot like telepathy. One company uses a modified arcade game of asteroids to promote gaze control. Everything on the screen is eye-driven and surprisingly controllable. Applications for cars are in development to let you activate controls without taking your eye off the road and to warn that you might be dozing off at the wheel. That trick alone could save 250,000 drivers a year in America. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Having knowledge about medical advice is never a bad thing. It'll be a -a one-of-a-kind opportunity for you to achieve mega health. Ron Hager joins us every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern to share insider info and commentary from the world of health and wellness. It's common sense, it's prudence, it's doing things that are moderate, that are balanced, that have variety, not just with the things you eat, but the way you exercise and other things that you might be doing. Tuesdays on The Morning Show, only on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about celebrity and uh, how people get so caught up in famous people. When I was a kid, we had a congressman named Gun McKay. You know, I was six. And my mom said, oh, my heavens, there's Gun McKay. He was a congressman. I was at a BYU football game. And I'm like, I'm going to go over there. And I went over and I stood by Gun McKay. And I just tried to absorb his celebrity by the way, I had no idea who he was. But um, his coat touched me. And then I walked back, proud as ever. Yeah, I touched Gun McKay. No big deal. No big deal. So Bryce apparently doesn't like that. Bryce, you got an issue with celebrity status, huh? Hmm, huh? I just, I mean, they're doing their thing. I don't, why? Why? Who are they? Why would we? 
Does my glimmer from my watch? See, that's what What's happens. What's your famousness? When you're famous, your watch glitters, and then the shine gets in your eyes. All that glitters is gold. Well, so he doesn't necessarily like it. So Bryce has some thoughts about celebrity worship that he'd just love to share with us. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is the Bryce is Right. I don't get why we're so impressed with the things celebrities do. At least other than their acting. When they do that well, I have no problem having something good to say. But follow my train of thought here for a second. Let's take one part of my job to speak live on air. The prep for this is to make sure I have an idea where the show might be going, have a few funny things ready to say just in case. I also need to make sure I know enough about the topic to have something worthwhile to say. I need to make sure my throat is in good condition so that I can talk without sounding frightening. It's probably a little more than you expected, but that's fine. I understand. And when I do my job right, I don't expect anyone to say anything to me. We have a system in place for that already. It's my wage. Do my job well, or in the very least get it right, I get paid. When I don't, I get fired. It's simple and easy to follow. Yet, whoever the current prominent male celebrity is today is seen to have what I call abs of justice, or his female counterpart, say, loses her baby weight. Why do we make a big deal about this exactly? As far as I can tell, they have two requirements for their job. Be attractive, and be able to act like someone else. Acting like someone else takes talent, skill, and work. Being attractive is a bit of a mixed bag. First and foremost, if they're a prominent actor, they probably already have a gene set that is uh, advantageous for this line of work. So compared to the general population, in terms of looks, they're already ahead of the game. In maintaining their attractivity, I'm sure it takes work, but when it's your job to be good looking, staying in shape for them is the same as my prep work. I write scripts, they do sit-ups. It's the same. So take the celebrity dude. If he doesn't work out, he's going to get flabby. Once he's flabby, he's going to have trouble finding work. Same thing goes for any female celebrity and her baby weight. Now, I'm not going to say having a kid is easy, but a problem with baby weight is that you can't go very far with newborns and you can't do very much with them. This leads to decreased activity and lots of bored snacking. Not to mention losing sleep, which makes every problem worse. But I will say having a newborn is a very different story when you have multiple professionals on hand to take care of everything. Most moms can't spare two hours to go to the gym because who knows how many things that kid'll need in that span of time. But just like with the male celebrity, the female celebrity has more job options when she's in shape. If there's no work, no pay, then the option after that is a career change. It's his job prep to have abs, it's her job prep to stay thin. So why do we bother making a big deal about it? Have you seen their paycheck? They already have their reward. Hypothetically, let's say I were to get into fantastic shape. I would call that a praiseworthy achievement because I don't have a good reason for getting into shape. I can be very flabby and as long as it doesn't interfere with my writing, recording, editing, or on-air capabilities, and I don't really see how it could, my employment will not be threatened. Because during all of this, I have work and I have school to do. Working out is entirely optional, yet nobody's going to put my picture in a magazine. And you know what else? I am sick of the excuses people use when they see a picture of a celebrity. They'll say, that's not realistic. Not realistic? Of course it's realistic. These people exist in the same physical universe that we do. When you say, that's not realistic, what you're saying is, that would be really difficult for me to achieve. Unrealistic would be something like, they suddenly aren't affected by the force of gravity. That is not realistic, and that would be an unfair fair expectation to put on someone else. But provided that I have the time, the exercise, the right diet, and the money for plastic surgery, I could look like just about anyone or anything in a matter of months. So if you have something good to say about an actor, make sure it's about their acting, not their hair, weight, musculature, or possessions. I'm tired of people making such a big deal out of someone who's just doing their job. Remember, they already have something in there for that. It's their paycheck. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. What's an actor? That would be the way you pronounce the word. I like actor. Let's see, A-C-T-E-R. 
I like to bring it in. Actor. Actually, Actor. it doesn't even have an E. It's something like ACTR. Actor. 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 Uh, you make a very good point. These people are paid to look hot. Yeah, that's their job. You, on the other hand. I am not paid to look good. You're just naturally hot. Oh, I thank you, Matt. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> it's really interesting, but there's a weird culture to this, isn't there? Like, people... They they care that that lady had a baby, that that movie star had a baby, which and, I'm which I'm sure super pregnant and yeah. also post childbirth. Please take lots well, of pictures of me. No, but Please. then they have the nerve to write a book about parenting because <laughs> there's a lot of them out now. People are writing books about parenting, and there's a big there's a big fight about these people shouldn't be writing books about parenting because they. One baby does not a parent make. Actually, legally it does. Well, no. According, uh, hold on. According to Bill Cosby, if you have one kid, you're not a parent because you know who did it. But if you have two kids, <laughs> ah, the game is on. Game on. It's true. And so, but we listen and people will buy a million books so we can buy the book because she's famous. Yeah. Or he's famous. See, that's what it is. That's what it is. It's abs. It's, it's all abs. <sighs> anyway, that was good. And I appreciate the, the, lesson, the lesson on actor. You're very welcome. I just thought it was accurate. You got to pronounce right. Especially, come on, radio, come on. Come on. That's why we don't even care what we look like. <laughs> We're just a bunch of slobs behind the microphone. Thanks, guy, for shaking your head. Um, Stuart Fishoff, Dr. Stuart Fishoff is going to be joining us. He is a senior editor of the Journal of Media Psychology, and he's going to teach us why we care at all about famous people. You know, this isn't a new problem. This has been going on for generations. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Add BYU Radio's toll-free number to your phone contacts and be ready to chat with us anytime. Our number is 855-CHAT-BYU. Whether you add your opinion to the morning show or ask Matt Townsend a question, we want to hear what you have to say. Again, our number is 855-CHAT-BYU. That's 855-242-8298. Call us. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. TSA officials scrapped a plan to start allowing small pocket knives on planes after outcry from lawmakers and the public. A group of nearly 150 lawmakers sent a letter to the TSA calling the plan dangerous, unnecessary, and irresponsible. President Obama has named Susan Rice as the next director of the NSA, a position which does not require congressional approval. Rice was rumored to have been the president's pick for secretary of state, but Republican senators vowed to block her nomination. Today, Senate Republicans are pushing a new initiative to require much tighter border security between the U.S. and Mexico before an immigration bill already on the Senate floor could grant legal status to undocumented immigrants already in the country. A building in downtown Philadelphia has collapsed, taking the life of one person and injuring 13 more. Rescue crews were on the scene almost immediately, helping the victims to get free of the rubble and to the medical care they needed. An 84-year-old Florida woman has been revealed as the winner of a record $590 million Powerball jackpot. Gloria McKenzie said she is grateful for this blessing and is believed to be the single largest lottery prize winner in U.S. history. World News Pakistan's recently re-elected prime minister is wasting no time calling for an end of U.S. military drone strikes in the country. Other problems facing Pakistan include Taliban insurgents and a growing electricity crisis.
A new report says Turkish police have detained at least 25 people for posting what has been called untrue information on social media and helping coordinate protests. Clashes between demonstrators and police continued today. Scientists have discovered a 55-million-year-old skeleton belonging to what is now the earliest known primate. Experts say the creature would have been very small and highly energetic. That's the news to have past the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend. We're trying to create a smarter life for you, a smarter ability to deal with relationships. So you are involved, you're in tune, you know what life's about. And one of the things we thought would be really interesting is to deal with this idea of celebrity culture. Now, I think I've told the story on the air. My mom's walking down the streets of London one day and sees Merritt talking to a no, uh, And all of a sudden... Out comes um, a big entourage of people, security, detail, all of these people. And right there, just kind of literally, they walked into to her, this huge group of people, and there's President Bill Clinton standing right there. And she is like mesmerized. Whoa! Like dumbfounded. Like, that's my president. That It was after he was president. And he looks at her and he's like, hello, how are you, ma'am? And he literally walked right up to my mom, gave her a little side hug. Would you like a picture? Well, yes. My mom wasn't like really even thinking that. She he pulls the camera. She pulls the camera out, hands it to his staffer. His staffer takes a picture. Pat's on the back. My mom's like in love. She has a picture of Bill Clinton, um, and he walks away. Boom. Celebrity status. And interestingly, he kind of gets how to be a celebrity. Like he he just I think it's just he just gets it and he's good at it. And I think it probably impacts his ability to be effective. So we're, today we're talking about celebrity culture. And I think you're going to find out there's a lot more to it than any of us know, because this isn't a new thing. This has been going on forever And there's a history behind why we have celebrities and why we make people stars. So we thought, who better to teach us on this great point than Stuart Fishoff, Ph.D. He's the senior editor of the Journal of Media Psychology. He's emeritus professor of media psychology at California State University, Los Angeles. So for 33 years, he taught in Los Angeles at California State University Media Psychology. He's established the first graduate degree program in psychology, is a fellow in Division of uh, 46 of American Psychological Association. He's received a Lifetime Achievement Award in media psychology. He's done it all, and he's even been a blogger on psychology today, celebrity expert. He's going to fill us in. Dr. Fishoff, welcome to the Matt Townsend Program. Thank you very much. Good good to have you here, really. And uh, your resume, huge. And you're you're retired, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, I retired from teaching. Yeah. Now, now the fun begins. Working. Yeah. Exactly. So, fill us in. Um, seriously, we you know Snooky, right? Well, not personally. Not per- like she's famous, Stuart. Yeah. She's a famous, supposedly. I guess I don't know what we. Not an actress. Reality star, reality star is, yeah. I guess, the best way to put it. Is that really what we're supposed to celebrate? 
supposed to. It sounds weird, but rude, even. I don't know that's even a relevant term. I know. Um, I think that's what we celebrate. Yeah. I think that's part of the human condition. It's part of, I mean, literally, it's part of our DNA because we're, we're social animals. Uh, we're pack animals. And we are, are um, wired to pay attention to those people, those other fellow animals who have effects on our life. Oh, interesting, yeah. That are higher up in the hierarchy. Higher up in the food chain and the power chain and the, re- and the re- reproductive uh, chain. These are the people who really lead us. Yeah. And we have to pay attention to them because if we don't, we can be in trouble. And we can't get the messages that we need to get from them. Oh. Um, so our, our, our uh, royalty are people oftentimes in the business of entertaining society, whether it's athletes or, or movie stars or television stars or musicians or even politicians, um, religious figures. Yeah. These are all very, very important people. We pay attention to them. Well, it seems like, I mean, you can almost imagine back to the day that there was a primitive culture and all of the sudden there was a great battle and one warrior created this horrendous or this incredible story where he conquered many and he came back to town the conquering hero right and he was esteemed and we held him up and he probably got free dinner at least that <laughs> and other privileges yeah. yeah well that's i mean it's interesting you mention that because certainly there is some there is some uh suggestions that some of the cave drawings that are found in different caves in France and Germany or what have you are representations of people who were important uh, to those tribes. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then you have you know, the, very, you know, the interesting portrayal of Jesus Christ in the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. There, was, there was the recognition there that he had what you might, you know, you might call charisma. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting you said that you, you mentioned the fact your mother was was in London and Bill Clinton walked out and she charisma. You know, he's the king, isn't he? Exactly right. He's the and Elvis he, of charisma. But there's there's something else too, which because I, I lived in, in in Los Angeles for so long and I spent I was I was a screenwriter as well, so I would meet a lot of people who were writers and actors and directors and what have you. And you could people who become famous. And want to maintain, and, and whose lives depend upon it, whose livelihoods depend upon it, cultivate a kind of persona that affects you when you see them. You you see somebody who is famous, and they have a, a, a style of, of of taking care of themselves physically, of how uh-huh. they walk, who they walk with, how they uh, gaze at you. They develop this entire repertoire of of characteristics, which then make them seem even more charismatic. Right. It and seems they like they game. always have a, a Starbucks cup in their hand. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's part of it, but it just seems like it's always there. Yeah. An yeah. iPhone at hand talking to an agent. Yeah. Exactly right. In fact, people used to, who didn't have agents and didn't have real, real uh, <laughs> cell phones, technology, cell phones, they would have fake phones. So they'd yeah. Be oh, that's pitiful. But yeah, yeah. but they're, they're, it's the persona they're selling, huh? That's right. And, and I guess they're doing that to stay relevant, to stay in power. 
Yeah, to keep that 15 minutes of fame just going on forever. <laughs> and some just keep beating it. I mean, the thing's dead years ago, but they just keep... Then they just go on, like, dancing. Not dance. That's pretty... I guess that's more mainstream. They go well, on they those old on. shows, like, where the, all the stars used to compete against each other in games. And uh, Yeah, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. So you're absolutely <laughs> correct. They do go on Dancing with the Stars and those kinds of shows because their careers are stalled and they're looking to figure some way to get it going again because that's what they're used to. Is this, is it different today? I mean, I, I look back to like the Rat Pack. Yeah. And uh, it seems like, it was it just more mystical back then? Because it, it just seems like it's regressed. It's like, I mean, it seems like back then there was kind of a, a really, kind of a regal royal side to yeah. it. Yeah. Well, there is. There, because, because what is, you have, a, you have an inflation. I mean, there were so many ways for a person to be a celebrity now. Uh, yeah. That's true, huh? That, and there's only so much room at the top, so much attention that can be given. So celebrity is disposable, mm-hmm. displaceable. And, you know, the media confers celebrity, and the absence of media presence can uh, take away your celebrity. It's, it's, it is, huh? It's the, because the media now is YouTube, yeah. you know, the Internet. Sure. Um, I mean, it, it's it's fascinating. I mean, too, the idea that polit- politicians are become are are famous today, and probably because of the advent of so much television and news, and now you can see everything. And you can circumvent the news media by putting out your own videos on your own fan site or mm-hmm. website, and it's like Weiner is doing in New York or Michelle yeah. or Michelle uh, Bachman. Bachman, exactly. Right. These are all ways to circumvent the. Any uh, people who make you uncomfortable. Yeah. In fact, they even say, like, even Obama did a really good job of doing more social media, which gave him, you know, he could go directly to people instead of through the traditional source. Well, you know, it used to be the case, and this is probably before your time, it was before my time, that it used to have fireside chats and radio performance uh, radio chats. Yeah. Uh, before the mainstream media we know today. And, and, and that became very, very effective ways to get the people to care about you and also to build up an image of you in their minds to what they were just listening to you and your voice mm-hmm. rather than watching you. Uh, and so that became an entirely different set of, of expectations and feelings about what these people look like, how, what, they, what are they really like. And yeah. And that became part of the imagination, which then fed into the fantasies and, and the charisma and the celebrity, all of that. It's, uh, and then it seems like, I guess, with all the fantasy and all of that, it then gets, it spreads into, I guess, the difference between someone being famous and someone being infamous or notorious. Yes. Well, you know, I was thinking about that when I was you know, waiting for your phone call. Yeah. And I was thinking about uh, the Old West, the gangsters, the uh-huh. 30s. All these people who became celebrated because of their notoriety. Yeah, because they could kill and shoot really well. Right. And then they became, you know, legendary, and they became sanitized. And we now have movies, you know, about mm-hmm. Billy the Kid and Butch Cassidy and John Dillinger. All these people who were really kind of ruthless, psychopathic people. <laughs> but we forget about that. Celebrate them, everybody. <laughs> he killed millions. I mean, it really is uh, It's a. It's something that we—I guess we can make the story anything we want, regardless of the person— we we can make it what we want to make it, especially over time. Yeah, especially if people are looking for a hero, yeah. looking for somebody to look up to and, to and to offer salvation or some sense of human dignity. And I guess that's it, isn't it? It's we're looking for the hero, 
And to know, you know, that uh, there's Ben Affleck and those guys that uh, grew up in Boston and just a couple of punks put together a movie and, hey, all of a sudden they take Hollywood by storm. That's that's a heroic blue-collar story. Yeah, well, of course, uh, <laughs> Matt Damon's mother was a, was a psychologist. Oh, see. So they had help. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? They had help. Yeah, she supported him, but, you know, he... he they yeah. weren't quite the punk you're suggesting, but they were close. Yeah, right. Exactly. They were getting help. Yeah. But um, it really is a fascinating idea, this this idea of celebrity culture. Um, let's take a break. We're, we're talking right now to Stuart Fishoff, Ph.D. Uh, he is emeritus professor from the uh, media psychology department at California State University, Los Angeles. He taught there for 33 years. We're going to come back, pick his brain, get a little bit more into this, into some of the benefits of celebrity culture, and maybe get a little more reality here. This is the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. How small can you make a satellite, and what can you do with it once you've built it? Call home, obviously. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. NASA's space technology program stimulates creative new thinking in the application of advanced tech that's as useful in space as it is on Earth. So here's an idea. It's often claimed we flew men to the moon with computers less powerful than what's inside today's smartphones. So can a smartphone fly in space? Only one way to find out. Nanosats are really tiny satellites, a cube only four inches on a side. They're about the size of a decent cup of coffee. The PhoneSat mission built three prototypes very quickly, with a budget of only $3,500 each. They kept costs down by using off-the-shelf smartphones as the guts of the tiny orbiters. NanoSat 1 has a simple job of taking pictures and texting back messages about the onboard conditions. NanoSats 2 and 3 step up their game by adding solar panels, GPS, and electromagnetic stabilization to keep their cameras pointed straight. Popular Science awarded NanoSat the 2012 Best of What's New Award. Future fleets of NanoSats might combine to study the sun or explore other worlds while phoning home their findings. I better take that. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Did you leave BYU without a degree? I'm thankful for the Bachelor of General Studies program because as I chose the life that I wanted to live, being a full-time mom, staying at home, and raising my children, it just gave me hope that I could still finish my goal, but at the same time I could still be fulfilling my responsibilities as a wife and a mother while still being able to take university courses. Go online to bgs.byu.edu to see if you qualify to finish at home what you started at BYU, Bachelor of General Studies. Want more from BYU Radio? Then like us on Facebook for updates, behind-the-scenes information, and more. And once you're there, let us know what you think. Give us feedback on shows, ask questions, and connect with our BYU Radio listeners and with our show hosts. Just find BYU Radio on Facebook, like us, and talk about good. And as always, thank you for listening to BYU Radio. Welcome back, celebrity fans, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about celebrity culture, and 
the impact that celebrity culture has on us. It's not, you know, this doesn't happen by chance. Um, celebrities are made. And there's apparently a history of this. And we've asked uh, Dr. Stuart Fishoff, who's a senior editor of the Journal of Media Psychology and emeritus professor from California State University, Los Angeles, um, where he taught media psychology for 33 years. He's joining us today. Um, again, Dr. Fishoff, thanks for being with us. Okay. We, we, we need to... Um, it's funny. It kind of, I guess, there's some that just don't buy into these guys at all. And they're like, get out of our politics. You don't, you, you know, blah, blah. And then there's others that um, just worship them. Is this... I mean, I guess this is his, historically this is normal. You mean celebrities who, who uh, get involved in politics and support candidates and go out and campaign for them? Oh, you know what? We can't hear you very well, Dr. Fishoff. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, there you go. That, yeah, perfect. Okay. Better. Okay, what were you saying? I was saying you, when you said get out of our, our politics, you're talking about people who, who go out and campaign yeah. for a particular candidate and president. Uh huh. And they use their. Celebrity to get their yeah. candidate, and and they, and they start getting involved in all of these other movements, all of these other things. Um, Actually, Judd? Yeah, yeah. Start running for politics. Right. Uh-huh. And uh, the comedian um, that is the senator. I mean, I guess if you're, if you're moving your career, and you're going to use your celebrity, I guess, to move into a career, I guess it, it's one way to legitimize what we're doing, but is this, is this, I guess, is this normal in the culture? Well, I mean, the more media that, the more we are involved and immersed in media, the more media people will be able to do that. It's like the person who's very wealthy. It's like the Koch brothers or something like that. Right. If you have lots of money, you can do things that you otherwise couldn't do. So uh, opportunity is never fair. Yeah, right. And, and working, working the system is never done equitably. So if you're really handsome or really beautiful or really wealthy or better educated or have, whatever those features you have yep, are, none of those. <laughs> you have, uh, you have an, a step up, and it, the world has always been so. Yeah. That's got to drive people crazy. <laughs> well, like, what about they me? attach themselves to it. Yeah. You know, that's one of the reasons that celebrity people like celebrities is because they make themselves feel a little bit better about themselves because they're they're in that entourage. You mentioned that entourage earlier. Right. They're in that entourage. They're in that fan club. They they have personal uh, memorabilia from those celebrities, and they it elevates their self esteem. What is the benefit to society at large to the culture? What's the benefit to having a celebrity type culture? Because apparently we're doing it naturally. Yeah. And apparently, I mean, historically, it made sense because it kept us alive because we stayed closest to the alpha male. Yeah. Um, what's the benefit today? Well, that's an interesting situation. The trouble, the trouble we're dealing with now is that it's, it's everything is so potentially artificial, and so you don't know what the truth is about the celebrity you're right. you're adoring because they if they if they control the environment, they control the image, they control the quotations and. Even they control the performances that they give, which are not really who they are. It's just what they've enacted. Right. You don't know what you're getting. The lip syncing. The yeah. Or you just right. You yeah. Know, but it, but even actors. I mean, people don't. People oftentimes think that actors create the words they're speaking at, yeah. at the moment. Right. An Academy um, Award-winning uh, presentation by an actor was written by somebody, directed by somebody, right. filmed by somebody. So it's all it's all an illusion. Yeah. And but the, uh, the whole 
notion of going to films or television is the willingness to suspend disbelief, mm-hmm. so that you're so that you're, you're you're buying into the the performance that you're seeing that movie or story, and you're suspending your your incredulity. Well, you do that enough times, and then it becomes difficult to to get away from that, get, to get away from the seductiveness of the image that you've developed over the years watching this person on this TV show. Yeah. And, and so it's hard to say, oh, that's just a person. You said that, you, was it your mother said that, or you said that? that that's just, oh, I know who it was. It was somebody I was talking to at your, your station. Yeah. Uh, he had talked about the fact that you see somebody who's a celebrity, and you gotta, you gotta pinch yourself not to go into the celebrity admiration mode. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just remember this person takes, you know, he's the guy I see down at the store and he take, puts his pants on one leg at a time. Yeah. I mean, and this can be anyone. I mean, this can be religious leaders, spiritual leaders. It really is almost anybody that is in a perceived, even just on TV, on radio, anybody that has a, a podium, really. <laughs> you know, I, I went to a, uh, to a, a meeting with the Pope. Wow. Because um, I was, I had, I, had, I had been nominated for a Humanities Award for a screenplay I had written for television. Neat. And so when he came to Hollywood... Is this the new lecture, Pope? No, it was um, Pope... Pope Paul? John, John Paul. Paul? Yeah. And, and uh, I... He came to Hollywood and, and he went to Universal Studios, uh, one, of the, one of the auditoriums there. And I was so compelled to touch him when yeah. he came by and i'm not even christian isn't that amazing and, and I, <laughs> I i i went home to my wife and i said oh my god I, I i shook the hand of the pope i touched the thing and she said just like slap me you know, hey what are you talking about relax honey <laughs> and that's how powerful that 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 kind of aura is oh isn't that amazing though you got and you kind of got stars. brought right into it didn't you absolutely and movie stars also admire other movie stars Oh, yeah. There is a hierarchy, right? Yeah. There's a pecking order. Right. And right. I guess it's by how much, who's producing the volume, the, who's pushing out the numbers. Yeah. Because TV, I mean, movies is obviously bigger than TV. But TV is, I guess, bigger than Internet. I mean, it's, it's interesting what's happening to this world because this reality TV stuff is pushing people out into the front right. that maybe don't actually bring a skill set. You know, they just survived on an island. Right. I mean, I guess their skill set is they didn't die. Well, you know, I mean, that's an interesting thing. I mean, we can get into the whole story about why is reality television so so uh, popular and how, how it's changed the landscape. But the point is that people are doing things, people are celebrities because they're doing something that other people value. Mm. Now, it can be entertaining me or it can be teaching me or it can be role modeling. For or an me. illusion, yeah. Whatever it, it can be, it, these people do it, and whatever you do that nobody cares about, no matter how well you do it, nobody cares. Yeah, and they don't get so, celebrity. Right. So, you, so, so what we're seeing with these people is they, they present a, a storyline, a narrative about what you're supposed to do to be successful on this, on this island or in this, mm-hmm. in this task, and if, that, if that's important to you as a viewer then you're going to admire that person. And the fact that that person is on television <laughs> and that there are close-ups... Of well, and they're making money. Well, even that, most people don't even realize it. That's not a, that's not a driving force in them. Why- in, in the average person's mind. Yeah. Well, you, but they're making money if they yeah. succeed in... Uh, 
Oh yeah, it's probably yeah, it's probably not something top of mind. But give me to me, it seems like reality TV. We also might be watching it because I guess not because we always value what they're doing, but because it seems like to me it makes us feel good that we're better than that. Like like like, like Honey uh, Boo Boo. Like, oh, oh yeah, okay, right. Do you know what that's I mean? Like thing. oh that's, boy, that's messed up. Well, that's the Schadenfreude thing, you know, where we we you know we we, we take pleasure in somebody else's failures, yeah, and embarrassments. Um, and, you know, that's, that's always the danger of being a celebrity is that they put you up on a pedestal and just can't wait to knock you down. Right. We have these ambivalent feelings about celebrities. And I guess there's this, the catharsis to, I mean, it seems like e- even the viewers sometimes like to see the fall yeah. of a celebrity. What is that all about psychologically? Well, I think it's, it's on the one hand, you're... You, you, you're seen, you see them as superior to you, in part because they are on television and you're not, but also in part because they're being successful at whatever tasks they're, they're engaged in. Right. Or they're good actors and you admire that quality. And on the other hand, the, part of us says, oh, yeah, except that the more, that the more I admire him and the more he's successful, the worse I feel at a certain level. Why can't I do that? Why can't I get that kind of attention? So that if the person then becomes humanized, by stumbling, by pratfalling, then you it elevates your self esteem for that at least that for that one brief shining moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that's what happens. Uh, people like to see very successful people engage in pratfalls. They don't want to see them fail necessarily, but at least have have somebody stub their toe. Well, because we do talking. that, right? I mean, we hit our head getting in the car, oh, and we do silly stuff. And, yeah. and and so to see something that's not so perfect, I, I really think that's part of the allure to the um, online world is because it's not as clean. It's not as it's not as perfect. And you see the fails of others. And I, in a weird way, I guess you can relate like, hey, he's like me. Yeah. But we still revere him because he's but, on he's got, you know, a million followers online. Yeah. Plus the fact he can do it. You haven't tried it. It's exactly right. Yeah. As the as the. Uh, whatever, to, to get on side, put himself out there and to be judged. And it's really, I mean, I guess there's an extreme side of this. When we get into all of these fanatical celebrity fans yeah. um, that end up, and let's, well, let's just take a break and we'll get back to that. But really, this can go too far because there is this whole projection of what we want people to be, isn't there? Right. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And that's, uh, that's interesting stuff. Man, you know, you, it's fun to talk to somebody that has studied it so deeply. Because the rest of us just sit there and say, ah, whatever. <laughs> Why are we following Snooky? But it really makes sense. There's something about them that either fascinates us that, you know, whether we want it or not, it's, it, there's an allure and, and yeah. we're interested. Right. Talking to Dr. Stuart Fishoff, senior editor of the Journal of Media Psychology and fan of the Pope John Paul. Um, we'll be back with him. Get more into this celebrity culture concept right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. KBYU FM, HD2 Provo. When it comes to interviewing, Dean Duncan isn't in a rush. On his show, This Will Take a While... He goes in-depth with his guests, getting to the heart of the topic. So sit back, relax, and be ready for the engaging, expansive conversation. 
here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Talk about good. This is Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Small pocket knives will not be allowed back onto U.S. flights. A decision from the TSA earlier today scrapped the plan after both Congress and the public complained. Close to 150 senators even drafted a letter in protest of the plan. President Obama has named Susan Rice as the next director of the NSA, a position which does not require congressional approval. Rice was rumored to have been the president's pick for secretary of state, but Republican senators vowed to block her nomination. Today, Senate Republicans are pushing a new initiative to require much tighter border security between the U.S. and Mexico before an immigration bill already on the Senate floor could grant legal status to undocumented immigrants already in the country. A building in downtown Philadelphia has collapsed, taking the life of one person and injuring 13 more. Rescue crews were on the scene almost immediately, helping the victims to get free of the rubble and to the medical care they needed. Missouri Governor Jay Nixon vetoed legislation to drastically reduce corporate tax rates today, despite lawmakers' claims the measure would help the state compete with neighboring Kansas. Nixon says the decreased taxes would handicap critical state services. An 84-year-old Florida woman has been revealed as the winner of a record $590 million Powerball jackpot. Gloria McKenzie says she is grateful for this blessing and is believed to be the single largest lottery prize winner in U.S. history. World News, Pakistan's recently re-elected prime minister is wasting no time calling for an end of U.S. military drone strikes in the country. Other problems facing Pakistan include Taliban insurgents and a growing electricity crisis. Scientists have discovered a 55-million-year-old skeleton belonging to what is now the earliest known primate. Experts say the creature would have been very small and highly energetic. That's the news to the top of the hour. For BYU Radio, I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about the celebrity culture and uh, and its impact on all of us. So we live in this society where we revere people, we put them on a pedestal, we like to see them get beat down a little bit, taken down a few notches. We like their talent, their gifts. Sometimes, you know, we don't even know what their actual gifts are because of the, the amazing talents of the people behind the celebrities, writing their scripts, producing their work, um, editing their, their stuff, uh, brushing, what's it called? Um, brushing them up, making them look really nice and clean and perfect, getting rid of the black eye or the wrinkles. And we're talking now to uh, Dr. Stuart Fishoff. He is um, senior editor of the Journal of Media Psychology and emeritus professor of media psychology at California State University in Los Angeles. Also blogger on Psychology Today, and that's where we found, you know, some of his work. Um, Dr. Fishoff, again, thanks for joining us. Thank you. There really is an angle to this, though, uh, where we can take our, our love of, a, of somebody and cross the line and become a little fanatical, a right. la John Hinckley Jr., right? Uh, Mark David Chapman, who killed Lennon. Right. Um, what... Where's the line? How do we know if, you know, I'm just thinking of some guy driving truck and his daughter loves um, Taylor Swift. 
Where do we? Where's the line that we're kind of moving beyond a healthy status or appreciation of celebrities? I suspect the line is something on the order of how much does it begin to eat up the, uh, the rest of your life? Yeah, is it consuming the rest of all right. you do? Right. Right. If it intrudes further and further, so you're becoming more and more removed from the real world. Uh, that would probably be a good sign that that you're. Uh, overly involved and have to take a take a look at what's going on in your life. I mean, it's, it was fascinating. I saw a documentary on um, Mark David Chapman, and he just traveled far to get to where Lennon was, and then he just stood on the steps for days and watched Lennon go into recording studios and out with Yoko on. I mean, and signed Catcher in the Rye book, all this stuff, just to kill him. And the whole time he knew he was going to shoot him. And you sit there and you think, um, at some point... When you're making the flight arrangements to go find Lennon, you're well beyond the point where we should back this off. And our kids, I guess it's there's a point where, you know, if it's affecting school, if it's affecting relationships, if they can only do one thing when they get home from school is listen to this record. Right. We probably need to intervene a little bit. Well, it's a loss of reality testing. And, and I mean, sometimes you make a joke, a joke out of it, which is that you live, you know, People live in the world of uh, of television or the or the the real R E E L reality uh-huh. movies. Yeah, um, and so you find very often that people who are prone to that to get caught up in, in celebrity obsession or fanaticism are people for whom their lives are not working. Hmm. There, there's a, there's a, a, a profound emptiness to their lives. There's a lack of accomplishment, a lack of self respect. They're already off track. Yeah. Uh, now it's understandable that young people, teenagers and preteens, who have no have no formed identity yet, who have not had, had time to accomplish anything at all in the first place, yeah, uh, that they they get involved with these kinds of figures and uh, celebrities and you know rock stars and things like that, because they need to begin to try to sculpt some sense of who they are. Yeah, in, that's interesting. Yeah. And you get it by imitating other people, by following their lives, using them as role models. Uh, Wearing their clothes. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you uh, see it in, in cases with attorneys where uh, uh, Jody Aries' uh, trial that made so much news and headlines and ratings for everybody, but the head prosecutor became famous and is uh-huh. signing people's canes. And, right. And so all of a sudden, but I, I sit there and I think, well, man, if you're a young kid that may want to be an attorney because you think that's neat, he's probably a good role model. Well, you know, when they have successful, when, when, when L.A. Law first hit television a number of years ago, right. the enrollments in law schools went up like mad. And the same thing with, with, with medical shows, uh, coroners. All these shows influence people who are susceptible to that, who are open to those kinds of influence, to consider right. those as careers. Yeah, now it's CSI. Yeah. <laughs> now right. we've got all these people that want to go work crime scenes. Mm-hmm. We just need more crime scenes. We're running out of crime scenes, Stuart. <laughs> just you wait, Henry. <laughs> You'll find them. I know, they'll come around. So really, some of this is kind of a healthy thing because it's a modeling of being able to see and kind of sculpt our own identity by taking certain parts and image and ideas. Yeah, it's like trying out different identities. Mm-hmm. That's what, in fact, that's one of the interesting aspects of, of the Internet is where people go on and, and do I- uh, identity uh, experimentation. Yeah. They change their sex, they change their, their looks, they change this. You know, whatever it is they want to be, they try it out on the Internet and see how well it works, how they feel about it. 
Uh, and that's, you know, and that's what, what are the things that celebrities offered was an opportunity to identify with that person and see what it's like to feel like they are right. and get, maybe get some of the, the, um, the attention that they uh, get themselves. You'll get by being like them. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, um, and our first loves are these stars. And I mean, my first girlfriend, a lot of people don't know this, was Farrah Fawcett. Ah, yeah. good taste, good taste. Yeah, well, and um, I really, but it's like, but you see and you and you can relate. I mean, I came from parents that were divorced, Yeah, and um, you'd go watch a show like The Brady Bunch, right? but it would actually give you a little context, like, well, man, okay, so if my mom remarried, I could have some other brothers, and I mean, it was just, it's just, it helps us in a way cope, and then there's the point where it just becomes dysfunctional obsession. Yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, that's, um, I don't know, I don't know if you, if your parents are not paying attention to how you're leading your life, if your friends are not paying attention, or if you begin to move away from your friends who don't share your kind of enthusiasm for something, then you begin to move further and further into the world of your own creation. Yeah. And that's, and that's a dangerous world to be in. Because I guess it's not... The world of your own creation is not usually filled with a natural feedback loop. No, you know, but it's just like believing that, that oh, that, that television show or that movie uh, is, it describes reality, and, that, and people can be that romantic and that sexual and that yeah. heroic or what have you. But, you know, the, the quip about what movies do is they take reality and get rid of all the boring parts. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. And, and, and then we all have this misconstrued <laughs> idea of what, re- like, my, my reality is so boring. Yeah. No, your reality is normal. Yeah, Clint Eastwood once said to me, I, I was interviewing him for an article for Psychology Today, that, that one of the problems that he had was that people would expect him to talk like Dirty Harry, and he, had, he didn't have those, <laughs> that quick of mind. Yeah, no. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's classic. I mean, that's funny. Um, you'd think he'd pull out a big gun. Go ahead, make my day. I mean, you'd think he'd be saying all this stuff, and right. it's, no, it's right. just Clint Eastwood. <laughs> It's funny, too, because I, 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 in a weird way, it's got to be hard to be a celebrity that has been so stereotyped. As, you know, somebody plays the role of Harry Potter, and you're all of a sudden, I guess, you're Harry Potter forever. You know, it's interesting. When, when Clint Eastwood appeared at the Republican convention... Yeah, that's what I was thinking about and laughing. Well, I, I had written uh, one of my blogs in Psych Today was on Clint Eastwood. And I, you know, and I'd spent three days with him. And they, they were talking about the fact that he seemed to be so hesitant in how he talked, and there was something very strange about what he did. They were used to the Clint Eastwood in the movies. Yeah. That, you uh, knew the real was, him. That was him. That was him. <laughs> there was nothing strange about it. And he, he wasn't, he wasn't a, uh, a doddering old man. This no. is how he functioned. Yeah, he's, not, he's not going crazy. That's, he's, he's, a little, he's witty. He's using a metaphor. I mean, it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's the side we never see, huh? Because the camera, they don't let us see that side. No. And it, it, it's a useful side to see. And sometimes when they do outtakes on, on, on movies at the end, of when their credits are rolling and they have these people making mistakes, Yeah, you get to see something of that. Yeah, that's, and in a weird way, it almost seems like the audience really appreciates that side, too. Like, oh, oh, that's funny. He's real. Yeah, absolutely. He's more like me. Hey, tell us about um, so so to make sure we don't get caught up in, into all of this, the celebrity culture. What what should we as parents, what should we as fans be doing to make sure that we're not building our entire identity around 
kind of an illusion? Well, I think part of that comes from being able, to, being encouraged to develop talents yourself, in yourself. Yeah. Uh, that is to develop skills. You mentioned skill. I think you mentioned skill sets at some point. Yeah. In conversation. Uh, you, to develop your own set of skills so that you're, you can be proud of what you do. You don't have to get your pride vicariously through somebody else's uh, achievements. Uh, I think parents need to encourage kids. If they find their kids isolating themselves, you have to encourage them to begin to go and reinforce when they do it, to, to uh, accomplish things, to feel good about themselves, and to have friends who are accomplished rather than simply brooding uh, hackers, people who don't, who don't do things. I got a question on that. So what if you have a child that um, really great person, but they are socially inept or awkward um, and they know it and they've actually read the book Quiet that says, hey, some people just aren't. Some people are just quiet. Some people aren't outgoing. Some people are are introverts. Um, But I, I guess is there at what point I guess do we just keep pushing them to have social experiences or do we just are there just some people that just do isolate not isolate that makes it sound like they're going in a room in a dark room but Uh just that they kind of they just don't engage well you know that's one of the beauties of the internet there are lots of forums yeah where people can go on and and because they're not being viewed physically they're not there they, they feel more comfortable about themselves and that people end up being a lot more social when they can play these multi uh, million person games and right. uh, adopt different identities, have different avatars. That is, that this oftentimes is the exact remedy that's required to take a person who is who is self isolating, who is introverted, uh, and give them a chance to test out how, how they interact and develop social skills. And they need that, and I, and it, you can get it online, or they can get it in some of these games. I mean, as a media psychology professor, right. you've gotten into the games world. And so um, is, that, is that still something we should be worried about, or some of these more violent games? And I mean, if we're going to isolate, if our, if our child is going to isolate and then go to violent gaming, is that, it seems no, like I, a concern. I have friends who have done tons of research on it. I've done some myself. And I think that the notion that, that media games produce violent people is over, overwrought. Right. Overrated. We know it's the, it's the rock and roll music that does that. And that's, yeah, that's the other part of it there. <laughs> I mean, uh, the point is that much of the research that's been done suggests that what, what people get interested in is not so much the violence, but the excitement they have in playing the game, if it's, if it's a challenging kind of situation. Yeah. You can take a violent act and pre- present it in a boring way, right. and they're not going to want to be watching it. Yeah, so it's, and it might be the camaraderie and the teams. Yes, and exactly. the, I mean, it could be a lot of stuff. Parents it's not just don't violence. ask their children. If I'm a parent and I have my son or my daughter is playing a game and I'm, I'm worried about the impact of that game on them, yeah, I would sit down with them and ask them, yeah, well, just, what do you what do you like about this? What is this? Yeah, play with them. Don't just assume you understand what yeah. motivates them. Yeah, don't, that's maybe part of this too. Is we've kind of also seemingly turned into a culture that we let the media babysit our families. Yeah, yeah, and that's I mean, okay, an hour, but. At some point, you got to also sit down and either play the game with your kid or try to understand him. Don't just assume it's going to destroy him. That's a perfect statement. Well, that's why I'm here, Stuart. It did. That's why they call you the boss. <laughs> that's why they call me the boss. So one of the things you're saying, though, is they have to have their own kind of identity, their own self-worth. 
Yeah. You have to have something. I mean, if you're going to love acting, that's one of the best things I ever did is my kids loved listening to music, watching music and musicians. Then I said, great, let's start doing it. And they started doing it and they caught on and they love it. And they kind of found their worth, not just watching, but then doing some of it was mimicking when they were younger. Yeah. And then they grow into creating their own and their identity starts to grow. And you and you just keep encouraging them. That's so That's good. That's really necessary. It really is. And then you also uh, suggest that, that we teach the kids um, to ex- to express themselves. Because I guess it, 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 the expression, I mean, the celebrities are out there expressing. So one of the skills I guess we could be obtaining and teaching our family and our children is you have a voice. You can use it and make a space where people can use their voice. Well, that's absolutely true, and I think that one of the places that used to be the place for that is the dinner table. Yeah. Uh, and families would get together and talk to each other, and they challenge each other and have questions and agendas, and, you know, active parenting men and male, you know, fathers yeah. and mothers would require of kids in some, in some non-threatening way to participate, to share, to uh, tell, tell us about how your day was. You know, that kind of social conversation is fast diminishing because everybody goes into their little isolated media space yeah. and or they they sit and watch television. Everything is too fragmented. So you need oh. to get something about the family back together again because they were primary socializing agents and they socialized the skills that were desirable in the society. It's so true because we'll, uh, we're leaving on a trip soon and I know we'll get in the car and the minute we do, five little devices will be pulled out and... Um, and then no one will talk. Yeah. It's, uh, it really is. It's the connections that we're losing, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to put a, a media no-fly zone in your car. Totally. No, I'm going to take all their equipment, and then I'm <laughs> going to make them sing camp songs. There you go. <laughs> Don't you think that's the way that's to do it? Then I'm going to have to send them to you, Stuart, to, to fix them. <laughs> You're going to have to bring them back to reality. In fact, we're heading your way, so I'll, I'll just drop them off at your house for a little touch-up okay. before we leave. I, I have some cages. Oh, good. That's, you have no idea. You're going to need them. Make sure they're, they're strengthened. They're extra strength cages. Yeah. Uh, one more thing. Um, talk, talk about the real friendship. What does a real friendship have to do with all of this? Well, you, celebrities oftentimes uh, uh, invoke a kind of a parasocial relationship. That is, we know a lot about them. And for some strange psychological reason, we flip that over and say, well, if I know a lot about them, they must know a lot about me. Mm-hmm. And so I, he and I or she and I are friends. Yeah, immediately. Well, you're not. No. And that, it's, that, it's that quality that leads people to uh, go off half-cocked, to, go, you know, to go, right. go too far in one direction because they really believe they have that kind of relationship, which then leads them to want to have more of that relationship, which might lead them to stalking yeah, or sending inappropriate garments and, yeah. and, and notes and things like that, and then end up being, uh, having the FBI or the police come to your house and saying, you know, you got to stop this stuff because you're <laughs> harassing this person. Leave the president alone. Yeah. yeah. So, well, and in a weird way, too, you can see it, I guess, in a kinder, gentler way, like maybe on Facebook, where you think you have all these friends yeah. that they're not, that's not the friend you would have had in, you know, 20 years ago. No. I mean, the friend you would have had 20 years ago, you'd actually talk to and see right. and play ball with. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the problem with, with that is not so much that it's bad. It's a bad idea to have, to have so many friends. No. But it, the problem is when that becomes only your only friends. Yeah, because you've isolated and you, or you're... And you believe it. And you believe that because Facebook has made up the friends term friends or, or LinkedIn says so-and-so is interested in making a connection with you. Yeah. Well, they're not. They don't even know you exist. They, they just went to your contact list, yeah. LinkedIn, and, and picked out names and then seeing if they can make a, a connection. He, he looks nice. Yeah, I mean, that's just, but people actually believe that. You know, when you get really old like me, <laughs> and you look forward to, to, to junk mail because nobody else is talking to you. Um, and, but this is what happens here when people want to believe that they really have friends because they don't really have them. Oh, see, that's a lonely, that's a lonely life. Yeah. Which is a celebrity life, really, in a way. It's a what life? It's like a celebrity life. It's like everybody thinks you have friends because yeah. you're so yeah, famous, you're... but I assume a lot of them go home just yeah. to get away because you can't go eat. I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're Oprah Winfrey, where do you go eat without everybody bugging you? Isn't that true? So you just, I would assume she'd just go home and call some friends over and... You know. Yeah, well, she does. She, yeah, you, they, in fact, many of these actors who were very successful have made it a point to keep their, their the friends they had before they were successful. Yeah. So they can be they can trust that this is an authentic relationship. Yeah, and they can be who they were, right? Yeah, right. Good stuff. We're, um, we've been talking with Doctor Stuart Fishoff, and uh, again, you got to go read some of his uh, his blogger entries on Psychology Today. You really are a you're a treat, and I you've met the Pope, Stuart. <laughs> right, <laughs> that was my favorite lesson. You did great. I love it, and uh, appreciate you being with us. Thanks for having me, man. You bet, Stuart. Take, Take care, care of yourself. I'll drop my kids off next yeah. week. <laughs> I'll keep a light on. <laughs> keep a light on for me. All right. Good stuff uh, again. We appreciate Stuart Fishoff being with us. Really, celebrity culture. You know, it's uh, something that. Uh, we got to be careful of. There's benefits, and uh, there's some other kind of negative consequences as well. We're going to take a break, come back, wrap up the show with some questions from the interweb for Dr. Matt. This is the Matt Townsend Show. I'll be back right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. On a chemical level, we're all left-handed. A new instrument and development might prove we live in a left-handed universe. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. So what's this about everybody being left-handed? Well, it's not about handwriting, but about organic chemistry and the search for life on other planets. You and maybe part of that hamburger you're eating are made up of proteins. The various proteins, in turn, are built from smaller substances called amino acids. There are 20 different kinds, and if you look at one on an atomic level, they have a sort of polarity called chirality. Aminos come in left-handed and right-handed chiralities. But on Earth, all living things we know of use only left-handed amino acids. And so far, samples of amino acids from comets and meteoroids also are all lefties. Stephanie Getty at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center won Innovator of the Year and a $1.2 million grant to develop a miniaturized instrument that can fly to icy moons and worlds and use liquid chromatography to see if this precursor for life exists out there, away from Earth contaminants. Was Earth life seeded with left-handed aminos from early comet impacts? When perfected, Getty's device may help answer this question and more. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. 
Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, joined by Colonel Robbie Sanders. Hello. Hello, Robert. So, Rob, uh, what's our question you from the ask, interweb? You want to answer a question from the Internet? Absolutely. It comes from a couple that's been living together for about five years and overall had a pretty good relationship. Uh, they even met while they were still poor and in college. Really? And in the years since, she's worked hard to try to get a good job to support them while he lived out his dream of becoming an actor. An actor. And good news. He got a gig, she says, in a television show, small role. Yeah. And it's putting some strain on their relationship. Why? Well, it turns out that there's a lot of time you have to put into practicing and rehearsals and shoots. And so he's gone a lot. You have to do a lot of workouts, abs. And it's frustrating to her because she says, well, he's 15 minutes down the road and I I just want to spend a couple of hours once a week just to to, just talk and just be together. And he's not there. And the few times he is there, she says he's busy answering his fan mail or walking around the mall hoping people will recognize him. And so when she tries to bring up what she has going on in her life, he gets bored and changes the subject back to him. Uh. So How long have we been together? About five years. Yeah. Hmm. So, so the question, does she have a question? Well, and then it started to get to a point where he was so stressed about his uh, shoot the next day that he wasn't getting any sleep. So what did he do at one o'clock in the morning? He blamed her. No, I can't get any sleep. How come I can't get any sleep? And that turned into a big argument of a vicious cycle of mean comments and then apologies and then more mean comments. And apologies, mm. and escalated to the point where he tossed a pillow at her. Uh oh! See, that's not good. Because see, now that means we, when we can't talk, we go to violence. I guess that's a soft form of violence. But now the idea is, I'm going to, I guess, throw a pillow and start. Here we go. Game on. So honestly, to me, their biggest problem is th- this is a pretty universal issue. Whether it's this or whether it, this whole thing could be reversed with her being a mother and falling in love with the children and not being around, not getting sleep and it causes stress, or it could be reversed with him getting a new job and something he loves. So this division is a fairly normal one that I see when I coach uh, couples. And um, one of the things I guess, again, we got to talk because one of the rules of a long-term relationship is long-term relationships, if you want them to last, if you want them to work, they demand mutual benefit. You have to both be benefiting if you're going to make a relationship work. And if you can hear in the story, she doesn't feel like she's benefiting. He's become kind of obsessed with his job, and it would all make sense. All of his friends would say, well, for sure, it's your career. Oh, my heavens, let her get off your back. Um, in the end, though, if you want a relationship to work, we we have to be able to communicate. My needs aren't being met. I need you to be present with me a little bit more. He probably, by the way, to give him the benefit of the doubt, is stressed out of his head. He's probably in over his head. He's probably not making nearly the money he needs as a backup, whatever he's doing. Um, so there's other stresses going on, and he's doing everything he can to keep this. And so here's the rule, I guess. I'd learn to talk. I'd go get some help. I'd learn to communicate. I'd recognize. And so if he's listening, 
which he will be because we're going to post this, uh, I'd go understand that your your wife in this case is hurting. And long-term relationships don't last if people's needs aren't being met. The research I found is most divorces are filed, 70% of the time they're filed by women. And the men tend to be fairly insensitive to it until the very end when they're like, what? Oh, my heavens, it is not that bad. And she's been warning him for, I don't know, two years. So, hey, buddy, pull your head out and get ready because you know what? You got to get your game on. You're not going to keep her forever just because you're a, you know, an actor playing a backup part on CSI, playing the dead victim on CSI. Um, again, we don't want to discourage your career. could be great. They, they, apparently, we need a lot more dead people in CSI movies. But we also uh, need relationships to work, and they don't work if you don't take care of them. It's a natural, healthy, growing thing. If you want it to grow, you got to feed it, nourish it. you got to take care of it. you got to protect it, support it, just like you would your garden. So... Good luck to them, and good luck to all of you. Thanks for joining us. That is the show on the um, culture of celebrities. Celebrity. Which you've been living a lot lately, Skyboy. Yes, I get that a lot. That yours is notorious. You're, you're, yours is not about something you've done that's impressive. It's because you cause chaos. Yes. And I mean that in the best way possible. Thanks for joining us, Skyboy and I, over and out. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.